Good morning. This is Talking Animals on WMNF. I'm Duncan Strauss, and my guest today is Daniel Hall, a wildlife ecologist who's joined me today to discuss something that I don't think has ever been the strict focus of this show, vultures. These aren't just any vultures, mind you, but vultures that have swooped into a quintessential conflict between humans and animals. As is so often the case in this kind of battle, the animal squad appears to be losing, including perhaps some losing their lives. Danny Hall will be able to explain both the broad contours and small details of this clash better than I can. But by way of introduction, let me just say this is centered in the West Chase community in Tampa's northwest Hillsborough County. The vultures have a rookery in that neighborhood, and apparently the birds have been venturing onto people's property prompting the homeowners to complain and leading the USDA to a plan to frighten away the vultures with loud fireworks. If the birds aren't scared away from the neighborhood by that, the plan was then to shoot them. The gunfire element has caused serious concern among many residents and other folks, not strictly for the reasons you would anticipate, although some of those reasons as well, of course. There are meetings being held to address this conflict and propose solutions. One meeting took place as recently as yesterday. We'll learn more about this skirmish where things stand as of yesterday. Maybe learn a little more about vultures, which is safe to say are widely misunderstood. Uh, when I speak with Danny Hall in a few moments here on Talking Animals on WMNF. Meanwhile, a programming note. Next week, my guest will be Glenn Hatchell reprising Ask the Trainer, the extended segment in which Glenn fields questions about dogs or in some cases cats, behavior issues, training, other related things, and how best to address them. So you may want to start uh, pondering your questions for Glenn. Meanwhile, later in today's program, I'll speak with Gracie Grishup, Director of Marketing at Pet Pal Animal Shelter, which is gearing up for its gigantic annual fundraiser, the Puppy Love Benefit. Fundraiser will be virtual and bidding begins May 1st. We'll hear about that and more from Gracie later in today's show. Right now, though, let's talk vultures with Danny Hall with a reminder that I invite you to join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663, emailing dj at wmnf.org, or texting 813-433-0885. This is Danny Hall on Talking Animals on WMNF. Good morning, Danny. Good morning. Thanks for joining us on Talking Animals. Thank you so much for having me. For sure. So before we dive into this vulture situation, let's find out a little about you, uh, starting with what exactly is a wildlife ecologist? What does a wildlife ecologist do? Well, essentially, uh, we study ecosystems. We study the relationships of animals with ecosystems. We study the um, flow of energy in and out of an ecosystem. So that's essentially what we do. And how often does those kind of studies involve being directly in contact or out in the field with various uh, animals of one kind or another? Oh, not nearly enough. I much prefer to be out in the field with various animals. Um, but yeah, we go out in the field and, you know, we, we take a look at the habitat. So my research specifically was on habitat fragmentation and loss as it relates to birds and how habitat fragmentation and um, invasive species actually affect migratory bird patterns. Okay, interesting. So trace uh, a little more of that path for me. When did you first become, well, just fond of animals to, be, to begin with? Was that while you were growing up or during your childhood? Oh, yes. I've been trying to save every animal I come across since I was uh, probably old enough to walk. So okay, so animals is very long. So you were kind of that classic neighborhood kid that's like was tending to the sick or injured animals and it's like, hey, let's let's bring this one to Danny. She'll know what to do. Yes, that was yes, that was very much yes. <laughs> okay, cool. And so when did you decide, given that sort of very early uh, connection you had with animals, hey, you know, I think I'd like to work with animals or, or have my, my job be something with animals? Oh, goodness. I've been rehabilitating animals pretty much my entire adult life. Um, I actually was the uh, hospital supervisor for the Seaside Seabird Sanctuary for a while. 
Um, so rehab- rehabilitating animals has always been a huge passion of mine. And I guess you just naturally went from doing it kind of as a kid just because you were interested in, and cared about animals and maybe had a little bit of a penchant for, for doing it and doing it well. Yes. And then it just evolved from there into kind of the professional. Yes. And now I just try to see, honestly, now like, more of a passion for saving them in their own habitat. And what role did academia play? Like how important was pursuing a certain degree or at least the training that maybe goes with pursuing that degree and oh, kind of shaping your path now? Yeah, um, I am. I consider myself a perpetual student. Um, I love, you know, the education, my education that I received. I consider myself still a student. Um, you know, nature always has something to teach. So school um, just explains loaded my brain with just all of this new, you know, um, studies and research that I hadn't had access to before. So, yeah, education is huge. Well, you know, school is doing the right thing when it explodes your brain. That's uh, yes, that's, that's great. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so what kind of degree or degrees do you have that probably pertain to wildlife ecology or what we're about to discuss? So, I have a BS in biology with a focus on eco- ecology and ecosystems. Okay, cool. All right, let me let folks know this is Talking Animals on WMF. I'm Duncan Strauss. If you just tuned in, my guest is Danny Hall, a wildlife ecologist, who has joined us chiefly to discuss the grim drama underway in the West Chase community in Tampa's northwest Hillsborough County, in which vultures have been venturing into the neighborhood and upsetting thereby many of the residents there, leading to then a USDA plan to scare away the birds with loud fireworks. And if that didn't dissuade the vultures from hanging around these homes, the plan was then to shoot them. So Danny has been closely tracking this story, and we're going to find out more about it momentarily. But if you'd like to ask her a question or offer a comment, please call 813-239-9663. Email dj at wmnf.org or text 813-433-0885. So Danny, when did you first hear about this vulture issue? How did it first come to your attention? Unfortunately, not soon enough. So it was actually my husband who uh, was sent a link to the news story about the USDA coming in. It was actually um, less, or goodness, it was less than three weeks ago that I actually found out. Um, They had already begun their campaign by the time that we um, were notified. So can you describe just for, I mean, I've touched on it a little bit briefly, obviously, in the introduction, but for people listening, um, can you give more of a sense of what happened, uh, when it happened, and how it kind of became such a sort of potent human slash animal conflict? Yeah, so I believe it began on March 14th, and I would have to look at my notes to double check that, but I believe the campaign began on March 14th, and they had, so there were residents within the neighborhood who were experiencing um, a, a large influx of vultures, and I'm not discounting, you know, the distress that they are feeling from the influx of vultures that they have. They have vultures on their roofs. They have vultures um, damaging property. Um, and they complained to their community development district. The community development district brought in the USDA, and the USDA planned to bombard the area with fireworks to hopefully get some of them to move on to a different area. And if that did not work, they were going to kill some of them and use them as effigies hanging their bodies for the rest to see. Okay, well, there's quite a few things that you said there that, that I need to probably backtrack and, and, and maybe ask you to expand upon. First of all, um, when you say damaging their property, I mean, I guess some of my initial things that I heard or read, it, it sounded like they were present there at people's homes and just by virtue of that, it was annoying people or bothering people. But w- when we talk about damaging their property, what, what do we mean there? So from my understanding, there was damage to the actual pool cages and there there um, are feces 
um, from the birds that people consider damaging. And then there's also the skylights. Apparently, there were some damage to some skylights. Now, what these unfortunate residents don't understand is that these fittings and these fixtures, the rubber seals that um, keep their pool cage, cage intact and the stained seals for the skylights, they have a fish oil-based lubricant that is actually very, very attractive to vultures. So they're actually attracting them to their dwelling. Well, here's, I guess, one of the, the key questions is why now? Like, w- what is the history there? Because I believe there's a, a rookery kind of very near this neighborhood, and, and I thought, maybe I got this part wrong, that that's been the case for, for more than just this year. So I guess the, the, the question kind of in, in some ways is, like, why now is this? are the vultures uh, heading to the neighborhoods and, and the homes in those kind of numbers? Um, in, well, it's increased development is okay. what it is. So they're building a lot of larger roads through these areas connecting, you know, West Faith to other municipalities. And the destruction of habitat is forcing the vultures into, you know, other areas. And the other thing that a lot of people seem to kind of lose track of or forget is that this area at one time, the West Chase area, was very green. It was an upland and a wetland habitat. Um, these birds instinctually, you know, they, they have nested here. And it takes them more than 10 years for those instincts. You know what I'm saying? Like, it takes them more than a minute to realize they've been evicted, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. So that's why they keep coming back. It's instinctual for them. This, at one point, was their space. Right. So, so it's the classic story, at least part of it, is the classic story of uh, development, construction, uh, habitat uh, is altered, and therefore uh, wildlife of one kind or another, in this case the vultures, are displaced by virtue of those things. Yes, absolutely. And it's unfortunately a, a situation of not in my backyard. And we're going to get to a point with development, well, if it's not your backyard, then whose? Oh, right. I got you. All right, well, we got a, a caller, so let's get some other folks involved in the conversation. Hi, you're on Talking Animals with Danny Hall. Some comments and give you a little bit of feedback. Sorry, uh, can you repeat the first part? I think we didn't have your call on it at the very beginning, so please just... Yes, just... My name is Richard. Okay. I'd like to make, make some comments and the feedback about the vulture. Okay. What you're talking about. Okay. okay. I have a, a good friend, and his name is Elvis, and he's a vulture. And I've been visiting this vulture over Moccasin Lake Nature Park over in Clearwater for 30 years, over 30 years with my wife. And vultures are very intelligent creatures, and... They they are very smart. So, I mean, for people just to want to go kill an animal who has intelligence, it just shows you their intelligence. And it seems like you've identified the problem to do with the fish oil while they're being attractive and while how their um, natural habitat has been displaced. But without vultures, all the dead animals on the road, the roadkill and everything, those animals would pile up everywhere. We need vultures. Vultures keep the earth clean. They're 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 uh, scavengers. So a dead animal, uh, whether it's a dead cat, a dead dog, a possum, a raccoon, I mean, the vultures will find it and they will, you know, eat it. And 
it, 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 they clean the earth. So, I mean, yeah, we need to stand up for the vultures. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you've had quite a longstanding relationship with this with this vulture, Elvis. So it yeah, sounds like you've had a lot of opportunity to observe Elvis's behavior and probably others uh, like Elvis. I'm going to ask uh, Danny this, and I still will, but in light of what you said, do you think that the part of what their very virtue is, and, and you just rattle off, like the, the dead animals, the roadkill, et cetera, taking care of that and cleaning that up, is that partly why some people just seem to have kind of a negative view of vultures, even though that overall it's a positive but i just i just can't help but wonder if some people just think ugh, not these guys yeah unfortunately that was the and i must say i love elvis too elvis is a very dear friend of mine as well i did my wow so elvis i'm the only guy on the call that doesn't elvis. know elvis i gotta get with it okay oh elvis is the man he's the king he, okay yes he is so as far as the attitude unfortunately i did have a couple people last night that called them ugly dirty disgusting birds yeah they essentially think they're flying cockroaches and they are absolutely not they just are not. I mean, they are incredibly intelligent. They're very, they, they form closely knit family groups together. You know, they, they're very lovely with their young, um, but they do, they provide a service to humanity. And in India, they found out the hard way when they take the vultures out of the equation, they had rampant rabies. They had rampant other forms of diseases with humans. So we really do need them in our community. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, and I do think they're, uh, I was going to say a little bit kind of tongue-in-cheek, obviously, that they seem to need a better publicist or a marketing firm because uh, there is this kind of negative view that I think pervades uh, in a lot of places and certainly is central probably to this issue that we're discussing today. And yet their virtues are strong in many, so uh, I just think a lot of people either don't know that or just can't get past what their initial perception of them is. And that's where we find ourselves. We've got some more folks uh, calling. Uh, Richard, I'm going to let you go, but thank you so much for your comments. One thing. I'd like to add one thing of the misperception. Okay, please. And maybe this would help things to get people to understand things better. One of the biggest scavengers on the earth is a bald eagle. A bald eagle doesn't usually hunt its food. If it can scavenge, it'll steal something away from another bird, either an osprey or, or a fish lying in the water, something dead. Yeah. So there's the misperception. Okay, so a bald eagle is beautiful. It's the bird of our country. It stands for freedom. Okay, it gets all this publicist and all this advertising and all these people standing up for the bald eagle. But who's standing up for the vulture? The vulture is something that is pure, that cleans the earth. Like you said, it keeps disease and filth and rot away from... Did you want your little kids playing with that stuff in the street with flies around it and maggots? I mean, please. Yeah. All right, Richard. Well, thank you so much for your comments and your input. And that's a very good point about the bald eagle. And uh, we're going to uh, move on, but I really appreciate your comments. Thank you so much. Hi, you're on Talking Animals with Danny Hall. Hey, it's Clay from Land Lake. Uh, listen, you got really stole my thunder on a bunch of things. The first thing I was going to tell you was that the vultures were there first, and people moved in, and now they want to get rid of the vultures, which is ridiculous. Yeah, the classic uh, classic story when habitat gets upended like this, right? Exactly. All of a, all of a sudden, you know, there's raccoons around here. There's possums. No, they were here before you got there. You're the you're the invader. Anyway, um, and, and they are they are the garbage men. I like that's why I like to call them the garbage men of uh, of our world, and and that they take care of all the um, uh, dead things that occur, from possum to deer to everything, and they do it very well and rapidly. So. Um, what I didn't understand, though, is what are these people doing with fish oil that's attracting vultures? I mean, what um, using fish oil for what? 
Well, Danny, you can respond to that. I assume that was kind of inadvertent, that that's just part of some of the things they have in, as part of their backyard or their property or pool area, whatever. Yeah, and, the construction. Yeah, it's yeah. the rubber fittings that actually keep the screen tight in the frame. Those rubber fittings are treated with a fish-oil-based lubricant. Yeah. Oh, okay. I understand that now. So it was inadvertent, but that's the, uh, that's the upshot nonetheless. Okay, so I'd like to ask her to do one thing for us. Explain the difference to everyone between a buzzard and a vulture. Oh, that's an excellent. That's that's excellent. So people don't. You're stealing all my good questions, Clay. But good, good for you. No, that that that's that's absolutely an important question. Please go ahead, Danny. So people would be very shocked to know that actually buzzards are butios. Butios are red-shouldered hawks. They are red-tailed hawks. So buzzards are vultures are not buzzards. They are not buzzards at all. That is just a vernacular that was adopted, I suppose, like a, a common name. But buzzards, they're actually historically UTOs. Clay, does that do it for you? Know that uh, uh, yeah. So one other thing, the wood stork. The wood stork is also a scavenger. Yeah? Yes, they are, and they're quite lovely. Yeah, they are. And then, uh, unfortunately, I see a great demise in them. I used to see them flocks and flocks, and now I see them individually, and, and they're a social animal. So when they're individual, I'm kind of wondering what happened to the rest of them. But yeah. uh, I, I know what it is. It's development, loss of habitat, and uh, how we don't treat nature uh is, is part of uh, we don't see ourselves as being part of nature. We don't treat it that way. So. No, we don't. I'm Thank you for all your we hard work. We are very much. Oh. oh, one one last thing. You know, instead of blowing up firecrackers all, all the time, there are sound devices that can be used to drive them away that don't require you to explode things, which bother other people and other animals and all that kind of stuff. Um, you need to talk to some of the folks that have been doing all this research on it, but I'm sure there's a frequency of sound that can be emanated to dissuade them from being there instead of shooting them or and blowing things up. Great, Clay. Yes, and, yeah, thank right, you. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for your input. I appreciate your call. Okay, so Danny, one of the things, too, that I, I guess I was curious about the specifics here, I mean, we're, we're getting into some, I think, really good and important stuff about vultures generally, and uh, and again, how they get a bad rap, which, of course, directly ties into what we are talking about, but um, is, is am I right that there is or was a rookery nearby there, so we've got, like, I don't know when the actual breeding season is or the birthing season is, but isn't that kind of a, a, an important issue to, to what this conflict is about as well? Oh, absolutely. So I actually got to see the island that is kind of the source of, of um, the distress. And that island is a rookery. I was out there and I saw ibis. I saw great blue herons. I saw white egrets, um, red-winged blackbirds, little blue herons, and hingas, cormorants, all nesting together on this island. So any disturbance that they're creating for the vultures, they're also creating for these other protected waiting birds. And what they don't seem to understand is even one flush, even the parents leaving the nest, you know, um, being scared away just one time opens them up for predation, you know, scavenging of the eggs or their chicks. So even just a small disturbance can be a big deal. Yeah, I guess I didn't realize it was as broad as it was that there, there's other birds that are uh, also part of this and therefore vulnerable to, to what might happen um, yeah. as, as the action is taken here. So I, I guess one, one of the questions that um, I'm curious about is at what point or how does the USDA intervene in a situation like this or how did they or why did they in this case in particular? You know, I, I, I honestly wish I knew the answer to that question because it, do, it does not appear from the communications that I've had um, with West Coast Community Development District that they did any due diligence 
to seek alternatives that were non-lethal, um, you know, like putting out noisemakers, like putting out um, effigies of owls or hawks, like putting out pinwheels that are mirrored that, you know, flash and stare off birds, like putting out spike sticks or spike strips on their roof to, you know, keep the birds from perching there. Now, one person did mention that they had put up an owl effigy, one of the plastic, you know, owls that stare off birds. They had put one up, but their community made them take it down because it was against their bylaws. (laughs) So they have rules that keep them from being able to do things humanely. So they automatically just kind of went with USDA. And so do I have it correct that once they did go to the USDA, that the USDA, I guess, presumably at least on some level, looked into this and then they uh, arrived at this plan of the uh, pyrotechnics, the loud fireworks and if that didn't work to get the birds away from the homes, then people were allowed to, I don't know who was given this kind of go ahead, but I guess people were said, okay, then then we can shoot the birds if they don't flee from the noise from the firework. Yes, that is correct. And unfortunately, some of the residents were rather gleeful over the shooting of the birds yesterday in the meeting, which was quite upsetting, um, especially when, you know, the Florida Voices for Animals was present. There was another, another woman who was a conservation advocate for birds who offered her services for free to help the residents come up with creative solutions to help both their situation and the birds. But they didn't seem interested in hearing from, from us. Yeah. Tell me more specifically what yesterday's meeting was, who who called the meeting and who ran the meeting, and then maybe just kind of some of the key things that developed uh, at that meeting. Okay, so I, it was, I believe it was their normal, potentially homeowners association meeting for the West Chase Community Development District. It okay. was held at the little library over there in West Chase. Um, myself and the um, members of uh, a handful of members, more than so, actually, we were, we were a quarter of the people there. Uh, Florida Voices for Animals showed up and um, a good handful of residents. And um, it was very interesting because they were going to hold comments at the end. But because there was such a large group there that they were not used to, they actually held comments in the beginning. And it was stressful to hear that the residents are, you know, are are dealing with birds in such large numbers converging on them. Of course it is. I, I definitely empathize with, you know, with, with the, the situation. But to just go right to lethal means to me is just extreme. So they took all of the residents' comments. We got a chance to comment. And then at the end, they actually um, discussed that they did not end up having to kill any of the birds. They were able to, unfortunately, flush um, a significant enough number of them that they feel comfortable currently without, you know, with not moving forward with any more destruction. Does flush in that case mean scare away by virtue of the pyrotechnics? That's correct. Okay. All right. Let's take another caller here. One second. Hi, you're on Talking Animals with Danny Hall. Oh, is this me? Yeah, go ahead, please. I know you've been holding for a while. Sorry about that. Thank you. Oh, no problem. Um, I know you're, this is Mark from Spring Hill. Okay. Um, I know you're talking about um, vultures and that, but this year, among any other year, increase of crows, or I don't know if they're crows or raven, but um, they're just, we're on that. It's just a lot. Even my neighbor was saying, you know, there's never been this amount of crows before. 
and I was just wondering why. Uh, well, it's a little off topic, uh, obviously, yeah, Mark, but but no, no, but I'm just going to guess, and then we'll have Danny weigh in briefly, that it may or may not be similarly related to a habitat shift. Yeah, I know, and, and, because they're both scavengers. Yeah. Danny, is that is that part of what explains the... the oh, absolutely. Yeah. So not only are we decreasing habitat, but we are making better opportunities for what we call um, urban exploiters or urban opportunists. So urban opportunists are things like blue jays, crows, um, you know, those types of birds who do very well in an urban environment. Even the hawks, even our hawks are doing much oh better in an urban environment because we are creating so much edge habitat. We are exposing all of these little birds in their nests to more predation. So you're going to see an increase in crows. You're going to see an increase in hawks. You're going to see an increase in vultures. But it's and not coyotes. that there are necessarily, and coyotes as well, but it's not so much that there's necessarily more of them. They are just more just, condensed yeah, into an area. They're forced, you know. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. Okay, Mark, thank you so much That's for your call. That's what I thought. Appreciate, I appreciate Love your show. Thanks so much. Appreciate your call. So, Danny, I'm just going to let folks know again who might just be tuning in. This is Talking Animals on WNF. I'm Duncan Strauss. My guest is Danny Hall, a wildlife ecologist, providing us some information and context about this serious conflict that's unfolded in Tampa's West Chase community between some residents of that community and vultures who uh, live nearby and have uh, sort of, I guess, encroached on, on those homes. We invite you to join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663, emailing dj at wmnf.org or texting 813-433-0885. So we have a couple more calls that we'll get to in a sec, but I got uh, an email I want to read, and then I want to ask you uh, uh, just a question in light of what you kind of summarized about the meeting. But this email says, many years ago, a friend did some research and found out that vulture poop was quote-unquote sterile. She was wondering if it was a hazard when visiting areas where vultures roosted and was delighted to find out that it was not. Does your guest have info or a comment on this? So, okay, so... Any amount, okay, so if you have a large amount of species and it becomes aerosolized somehow, powder form, um, we see this when it comes to like bat guano and things like that. Now, bat guano is completely different from animal guano, so I probably shouldn't make those connections, but the point is still the same. In large, large guano, I'm talking, I'm talking pounds here, pounds of poo. <laughs> When it's aerosolized, if you breathe it in, yes, it's going to be potentially harmful for you. But no, as generally speaking, bird poo is, yeah, it is not toxic. Yeah. I mean, I eat fruit and food and vegetables from my garden because <laughs> I have an organic garden that birds have probably pooped on. And I'm still alive. So right. generally speaking, bird poop <laughs> okay. is not a problem. All right. So here's my question back to your kind of summary of yesterday's meeting. It sounds like for now, if I understood you correctly, the residents there that were saying, hey, uh, this seems to have worked with the with the pyrotechnics, so we're going to kind of let things go. But what I'm wondering is, who gets really a say? I mean, is are, is it the residents that say? Because what if they had said, "Hey, it hasn't really worked that well, so we're still going to go go ahead and shoot them." Could they make that decision, and where and how is the USDA still involved? I mean, who has oversight here, I guess, is my question. So, Florida Fish and Wildlife are the permitting agencies that gave the USDA the permit to do this. So, they are ultimately the overarching agency, Florida Fish and Wildlife, FWC. Now, the residents can come back, and they, the um, community development district, on behalf of the residents, can come back and say, no, we're not satisfied. You know, let's continue with shooting the birds. That could absolutely be a thing. And that's something that I fear for the future, that this is going to be an ongoing battle. So this, but I am prepared for it. Right. So 
This is what they decided as of yesterday, but it doesn't by any means, if I follow you, suggest that it's resolved uh, with any finality. It's just at the moment, that's kind of how people are proceeding. Well, yes. And um, I mean, unfortunately, this is going to become an issue with not just vultures, but with other species like people mentioned as well, with coyotes, with crows, with pretty much any wildlife. But yeah, yeah, this, this specific situation is going to be an ongoing situation. Yeah. All right. Let's take another call. Hi, you're on Talking Animals with Danny Hall. Yeah. Hello. Hello. Yeah, um, this conversation from the beginning has been asked backwards. This isn't about a problem with birds. This is a problem with people. At 8 billion people, it's the overpopulation of people that's the problem. And what's going to happen, and we're doing it, we're in the process of doing it now. We have 8 billion people on the planet going toward 9. We'll trash this place to the point where it'll be uh, it unlivable. And people will die off, and things hopefully can get back to uh, back to normal. But yeah, it's this is um, until we realize that we're 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 in a lot of trouble. Yeah, well, I think at least a few references have been made that that does acknowledge this because when we have talked about the development, construction, etc that has caused habitat change and has displaced all kinds of animals and wildlife, including the vultures. I think we are noting that that's part of the growing population and there's all kinds of measures taken to accommodate the, that growing population in Florida and, of course, elsewhere. You know, I live out here on five acres, and I had called Florida Fish and Wildlife about people coming out here and killing, shooting anything and everything, oh, the hogs, bird if it moves they'd shoot it mm-hmm. and um the guy that i was talking to the moron from florida fish and wildlife launched in to tell me how him and his friends really shoot up the countryside on the weekend mm. so that that's what you're dealing with when you call florida fish and wildlife yeah i mean the, and and the conversation about overpopulation people overpopulating the planet and trashing it. You don't hear very much about it. it that, no one will touch it. If you could find it, you know, if you go on the Internet and look around. Yeah. You're not going to hear that on NPR. You're just not going to hear it. It, it. Maybe once a year you'll, you'll hear a, maybe a 15-minute little clip about it. But they, no one will touch it because, yeah. it, because it, it, it works against consuming and development. Yeah. Well, I will say we do discuss it not infrequently on this show for the very reasons that it's vultures today, but it's been all kinds of animals over the years and throughout a lot of Florida where, again, developments, housing developments, uh, commercial developments, all kinds of things have displaced uh, name your animal here. And so then they're foraging out and then there's problems and there's uh, face-to-face human-animal con- conflict. And, you know, so many of the same things that we're addressing here as, as themes we've certainly addressed by way of the uh, overpopulation and the overdevelopment. So I, I understand what you're saying, but it's, it's, uh, it's not unacknowledged here, even though it's under-acknowledged overall for sure. We're going we're gonna to move on to another call, but thank you for yours. Thank you, Duncan. Bye-bye. Hi, you're on Talking Animals with Danny Hall. Hi. Hi. Uh, this is Stan up in Zephyr Hills. Uh, just a short little brief story. I got to watch a uh, close-up uh, adventure of vultures at work. Uh, we had a, uh, a dead uh, uh, armadillo carcass in the, in, the, in the road there on the dirt road I live on. And uh, two of the big red-headed ones, you know, showed up, uh, a, a bigger one and a smaller one, sitting on the fence kind of looking at it. And then before they could get to it, uh, to the, uh, the carcass, here came a whole herd of the of the, um, you know, the dark-headed, you know, black-headed ones. Uh, must have been at least about a dozen or more. 
And uh, they went to work on this thing in about uh, 20 or 25 minutes. They had done it all, you know. Uh, it looked like a you know taco shell laying out there. But it was really interesting to watch them work. I opened up my front door just enough so I could hear it. I thought it'd be noise as heck, you know, with a lot of squawking and everything. And it was very, very kind of quiet. It looked like a pile of rustling uh, feathers. That's about all you could see, right? And every once in a while, you, you'd hear a squawk, and one would come running out. And then it would turn around and hunker its head and neck back down and dive into the pile again, you know. And like I say, this went on for 20 or 25 minutes. And then uh, they were all done. And, uh, uh, they, you know, they left. And you know, it was just, you know, the shell laying out there. And they really do, do a service. I mean, uh, you know, it's all part of nature and everything uh, yeah uh, but it was amazing to, to, to see that and uh, and just how quiet the whole thing is once once they get going at it but uh yeah it uh, it's amazing yeah it really is and I, and I hate to see people shooting up everything and you know i'm out here in the rural area and yeah there's something going on and that kind of thing and some of those guys are, have a pretty amount uh a good sense and everything but there's some that don't that's for sure yeah all right well thanks for your uh, for your observation i appreciate it thanks for your call uh, thank you. Yeah, they sir. actually, those are most likely siblings. So the vultures that be around a carcass a lot of the time, the reason that they bicker, like they just most likely they're siblings. So they think, and they think siblings. Kind of a pecking order. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so red, red, um, so turkey vultures, the ones you call the red-headed vultures, they are actually, they have excellent sense of smell, much more so than a black vulture. Black vultures have excellent eyesight. So a black vulture they take advantage of the turkey vultures and film will actually follow them to a carcass. Oh. So, yeah, it's, it's a very interesting relationship, and um, they're awesome. Do, do they spot these carcasses? Is it more by sight or is it the smell or a combination of the two? It is absolutely a combination of the two. But like I said, the turkeys have much have a much keener sense of smell um, uh, than a black vulture does. So black vultures uh-huh. actually spot them by sight. Oh, that was interesting. Yeah, it's incredible. And they have like a twenty. There are recent studies that showed that they have a twenty-five square mile range. Oh my goodness. Wow. Okay, thanks again for your call. Thank you, sir. Thank you. So, Danny, between the turkey vultures and the black vultures, are they drawn to different kinds of things, or do they really go after the same animals and, and roadkill, et cetera? So, generally speaking, they do go after the same types of roadkill. They do scavenge for the same types of things, but the difference between turkeys and blacks is that turkeys stick strictly to dead animals, and black vultures if there is a sick or a weak animal, they will take that out. I see. So we're sort of nearing the end of our time, Danny. So one of the things I want to try to get a sense of is from you being at these meetings, including yesterday's, where do you think this is heading? You sounded like concerned that despite what what was said yesterday, this is far from resolved. So I guess I'm curious to know, like, where do you think it's going and, and how can any of us who are listening, and obviously many people called in, I think hopefully for everybody who called in that was pro vulture at least, there's probably X amount of people that didn't call in. So I think there's a lot of interest in this. So how would people kind of track this story to see if it's going to be kind of stay the way it was decided as of yesterday or if, in fact, there's going to be another ugly chapter to the saga? Yeah, so I... <laughs> I consider myself a steward of the birds, and I will make. I am in this fight for as long as it takes to see that they are protected. And I, like I said, I do not believe that this is resolved because the birds will be back. Um, these tactics will not keep them away from a prime nesting location. And that was the other kind of disturbing and sad part was that they chose to do this during nesting season. Nesting yeah. season is going on right now, and it's been going on for about a month, if not uh, six weeks or so. So that was just an incredibly disturbing thing to 
you know, interrupt animals during the most vulnerable time in their lives. Um, so we will continue to contact FWC, um, let them know our, you know, disclosure. I actually contact the commissioners directly from uh, Florida Fish and Wildlife and ask for a copy of the permit and a formal investigation into this particular permit. Um, because it, it just, like I said, the nesting season part of it to me and also this, this disturbance of other waiting protected birds just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So, um, Florida, Voices, Florida Voices for Animals um, on their website. Um, we are going to, uh, I'm, I hope I can say this, but on our Facebook page, we will um, try to keep updates about the situation so that people can kind of keep up to date on, on the on the progress. Okay, so for folks uh, not familiar, Florida Voices for Animals was well, actually FloridaVoicesForAnimals.org, but it sounds like you think not so much the website, but, but the Facebook page for Florida Voices for Animals will periodically have updates on where this stands just because if people want to know what's happening or if there's ways that we can help or, inter, you know, intervene in our own way, that's where yeah. we would get updates, correct? Absolutely, absolutely. And like I said, you can contact FWC yourselves and let them know, you know, that this is not something that you, that, you know, this, there are other ways, there are other means to deal with the situation. And so we're simply encouraging them to take advantage of their local resources. Most of those are free you know, to help with the situation. Yeah. All right. Well, gosh, thank you so much, Danny. We've been speaking with Danny Hall and, uh, again, uh, wildlife ecologist, but also sort of representing uh, Florida Voices for Animals in this in this regard and just and, and really just representing the vultures in, in a sense. Even though I don't live on this side of the state, one of my goals now in light of this conversation is to go meet Elvis, who sounds like, uh, by all accounts, is a, a hell of a vulture. He is. That's great. All right, Danny, thank you so much for making the time to join us today on Talking Animals and filling us in on the situation. And we'll just kind of keep an eye on the Florida Voices for uh, Animals Facebook page for updates and any actions that we could take if things take another turn, which sounds like wouldn't uh, be surprising to you. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. In a moment, I'll speak with Gracie Grishop of Pet Ball Animal Shelter about their forthcoming Puppy Love Benefit, the 20th Annual puppy love benefit for those scoring at home. This event is very important, a critical source of funds for the shelter and the work that they do, so details on that in just a moment. Right now, we're going to step into the Comedy Corner with Sean Patton in a piece called Emotional Peacock in today's Comedy Corner on Talking Animals on WMNL. I don't know if you remember this side note. Like two years ago, a woman tried to register a peacock as an emotional support animal. A peacock, like... First of all, that's a cry for help we all missed. <laughs> like, what kind of emotional turmoil are you in where you need support from a peacock? A peacock? Have you ever seen a peacock? Peacock? It's not, it's not the NBC. It's not that at all. It's a more of a... The, the head gets... Crazy! Oh! It makes that exact sound like a oh! like a demonic turkey, man. And the feathers jut like out and at you because in nature, when a peacock unfolds, it is a it's a mating call or a defense mechanism. It's the only reason it does either. It it, it means let's or let's fight. It certainly does not mean, calm down, it's only turbulence. 
These planes are built to handle 100 times worse than this. A peacock, like what, the poor woman. Must have been in such a dark place, like, this life is meaningless, it's like a cloud over my head, and I'm never gonna snap out of it, and I just don't. <laughs> Thanks, Felipe. You're right. I'm gonna push on. What are you doing this weekend? There's 59.99 round trip flights to Phoenix on Spirit Airlines. Wanna go? I mean, she tried to take a flightless bird on a flight. That was Sean Patton in today's Comedy Corner with a piece called Emotional Peacock, taken from her appearance on Comedy Central. Now it's time to speak with Gracie Grishop. From Pet Pal Animal Center, she'll fill us in on their big puppy love benefit, which is happening just around the corner. Here's Gracie Grishop on Talking Animals on WMNF. Good morning, Gracie. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Duncan. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Let's start, just because you never know, let's start with a, just a brief overview of Pet Pal Animal Shelter itself. What is it and what is its mission? Pet Pal Animal Shelter is a no-kill animal shelter in St. Pete. We're over by Tropicana Field off of 5th Avenue South and 22nd Street South. And we, uh, our main mission is to rescue animals and pull animals um, from other shelters when they're at risk of being euthanized. That's our first priority. And then if we have room, of course, we open up to owner surrenders within our community. Okay, cool. So how is the operation funded? The operation, our operation is funded um, only on donations from individuals. We have some small grants that we may get, but nothing super large. So um, we really rely on just individuals in our community to help us out. But also, this may or may not bring us coincidentally to the Puppy Love Benefit. Aren't there <laughs> events that you guys do generate some money that helps fund the operation along with the donations and these, the uh, yeah, occasional grant? Yeah, our Puppy Love Benefit, and this year is our 20th annual Puppy Love Benefit. Yeah, that's it's big. Very, yes, it, it's very essential. We need our Puppy Love Benefit um money to come in, our donations to come in, sponsorships to come in, um, just general donations, support donations, item donations, everything, because uh, we auction all, all that off, and that's the money that we raise, and our goal is always a hundred grand, which is basically the operational um, amount that we need for the Wow, shelter. that's a big goal. Yeah. And it's virtual, right? The benefit is virtual. Is that a carryover from the peak of the pandemic, or have you guys just yeah. sort of prefer to do it virtually uh, no, regardless? not really. No, we prefer to not do it virtually, but, yeah. you know, it's been so kind of wishy-washy. We just wanted to pull the safe plug and just make sure it's successful. Right. And, you know, what? our supporters are having a great time anyway, but... We really hope next year to do it at um, at, a, at a venue again, maybe the Coliseum, where we've held it for years and years. Sure. And um, and get everybody back because everyone loves to talk and swap stories and yeah. hit against each other. But this one's going to be real successful. It was last year, so we we rely on everybody and we we have faith in you. <laughs> right. Well, you mentioned uh, the auction is definitely a central element. Just by way of example, what are some of the auction items? And probably some are still coming in, but what are some so far? And how does the bidding actually work? Oh, okay. So uh, we we've got quite a bit of stuff, and and actually everyone kind of waits to the last minute, which is fine with us. We're ready. We've got great volunteers that 
hop right in and start mm-hmm. putting together packages. Um, we have some really cool art pieces. Um, a local artist, actually, um, Sheila Olson, she did some dead, um, a series Dead to Me on um, Netflix. Okay. She had some of her pieces in there. She's donated some pieces that are a really good high art value. Um, we've got, you know, a Tampa Bay Rays package. We've got some vacations to hotels, some experience packages, of course. We've got cat-related and dog-related packages because you can't not have that, right? Right. That's critical. <laughs> and um, lots of booze, but we'd love more donations from the community. We want to just rock it out and, and raise lots of money so we can keep saving animals. All right. So that raises the question then of what's the best way for, let's say, someone's listening and say, hey, this sounds cool. I'd like to help out. I could donate this or contribute this item or whatever. How do they do How do they do they so? Is there a website or some other means to contact you guys and say, hey, I've got this I'd like to uh, throw into yeah, the auction? Absolutely. Uh, our website is petpalanimalshelter.com. You just go right on the homepage and you have a link to our Puppy Love Benefit, which is our 20th annual. The bidding opens up May 1st and it will conclude May 7th at 10 p.m. Right. So the bidding uh, starts the first, but obviously, the, therefore, you want all the items that people are thinking of donating in hand Before and sort of cataloged and ready. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Right, no, for sure. Yeah, it's probably hard to do that on the fly. Yeah, you know what? we so. make it work. Like yeah. I said, we'll we'll do anything for if our community wants to donate, we'll we'll put it in there. We'll get it in. We got that for sure. <laughs> and also, if I'm not mistaken, there's other means to help out one way or another, yeah. depending on what people's. So there's sponsorships, right? I guess of one kind or another. There's sponsorships for Puppy Love. We have some great sponsors on there. Um, we we really rely on that big. That is probably about half of the pr- proceeds. Okay. Um, comes from our sponsorship and also the donations some people uh some of our supporters simply want to go you know what i want to donate to it and and that's this is the amount i'm going to give and we're good for anything anything tiny to really really large i mean we're we're grateful for everything that's great all right uh gracie well so it's pet pal animal shelter is it dot dot org dot com dot com okay sorry i just want to double check so that's where people would go to find out more (laughs) and if they want to uh, get involved with either a sponsorship or donate an item or otherwise get involved with the uh, with the shelter. That's the place to go online. So, Gracie, good luck, and I hope it's another smash success this year. Oh, thank you very, very much for your support and giving us an opportunity to get it out there more, Duncan. You bet. Take care. Good luck. Okay, thank See you. too. Coming up on WNF, the music kicks back in with Scott Elliott, who's already set up and ready to rock in the next studio. From noon to 3 p.m., a glorious three hours of music, followed by Robin Hooper with yet another three hours of music. And we just keep the music coming as we roll into our block of Latin programming and beyond. Meanwhile, on this show at the moment, as a prize for naming that animal tune, I'll be offering something fabulous from the Talking Animals Vault to the first person who calls 813-239-9663 and correctly identifies this animal song. It's named that animal tune on Talking Animals on WMNF. If you can name that animal tune, we'll take your guests off air because we have just about reached the end of today's edition of Talking Animals on WMNF. 
I invite you to join me next Wednesday when again our guest will be Glenn Hatchell helping pet people with another edition of Ask the Trainer. Again, any questions about your dogs or cats, even uh, behavioral or training issues, uh, Glenn fields those questions on the phone or sometimes by email and can help you out. So start thinking of your questions now and get a jump on it for next week. I invite you to tune in for that show. Also invite you to visit TalkAnimals.net for audio archives of every show we've ever broadcast. Links to our social media pages are there too. It's TalkAnimals.net. I'm Duncan Strauss. Thanks very much for listening. Have a good week. Be kind to animals. Be kind to others. Be kind to yourself. It's Talking Animals on WNF Tampa, Brandon, Clearwater, Largo, Wikiwachi, and beyond. Scott Elliott is up next after five minutes of NPR News headlines. And we'll see you back here next Wednesday with Glenn Hatchell and Asa Trainer on Talking Animals. Thanks.